like it's it's that kind of night where you know what I'm I'm just good to go like I think I've, I'm feel I'm full <laughs> I'm ready to go like it doesn't matter if, you know feel free if you don't want to listen to a message tonight a sermon just go because I reckon we're all good <laughs> just to be in his presence and that that time of prayer was really great and um, just to sense the Lord's presence and um, yeah just a good time it is good to be here tonight to um, thank you for your op- thank, thank you for the opportunity to speak again um, today we are finishing a series called Young and Free. Tonight we're going to finish it, and we're going to finish it on a a young person in the Bible that not a lot of people really kind of look at. <laughs> um, his name is Jesus. Have you heard of him? Yep. So, and this is kind of like a it's the word segue into the Easter series. So I'm going to do like an Easter series, and I came up with a really great title for the series. Um, Jesus is the name of the title for the series. Yeah. So I thought that would be pretty apt for for Easter. Um, but look, if you've got your Bibles open at Luke chapter 2 and verse 39, we're going to look at um, this scene in the life of Jesus that no other gospel mentions. And in fact, this scene actually contains the very first record of the words spoken by Jesus. We know that his first miracle was that in Canaan, where he transformed water into wine. And some pastors feel like that he should be doing that still these days. Not here. But this is his first, this is the first recording of Jesus' actual words. And it's interesting <coughs> to see what those words are. But what I want to do tonight, if I've got your permission, is basically we're just going to do a little Bible study. Is that all right? And then at the end, two applications. Okay, so it should be pretty quick. It's it's ten past six now, so you just feel free to um, start coughing or making noises in about fifteen to twenty minutes. All right, and I'll get the picture, and then we can leave for tonight. But first off, let's have a look at this scripture in Luke chapter two, verse thirty-nine. Some context: Jesus has just been uh, taken to the temple by Joseph and Mary. He's eight days old. Okay, and he's been taken to the temple. He's done the whole ceremonies of um, of circumcision, and he's had prophetic words spoken over him by uh, Simeon and Anna. And we get to verse thirty nine that was read for us tonight, and it says that when Jesus's parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favour was on him. Just start off there is there's nothing really special about Nazareth. Okay. But I think we can learn something about this young person um, and that um, he grew up. He grew up. Jesus actually, if you don't believe it tonight, Jesus actually was a person. In fact, he is a person. He is currently a human being sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven waiting for a day when he'll come back to judge between the living and the dead. He is fully human and fully God, the only one right now, fully human and fully God. And here he is. I love it how Luke, see, Luke is the guy that wrote this gospel, and he was a doctor. So he's all doctor on us, okay? So he's actually written this gospel. Um, I wish Theo was here tonight because the first verses of Luke's gospel 
uh, are these. L just listen to this and try and think of um, the guys writing this uh, gospel. Many people, he says, have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honourable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So here's Luke. He's writing the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote Acts, and he's writing to this guy called Theophilus, an actual person. We have a Theophilus in our church as well. He's not here tonight, but that's okay. But I believe that Luke is actually getting... All of this accounts from different disciples or people that were eyewitnesses of Jesus, right? And so why, why wouldn't it be Mary in this account? I mean, who better person, what better person than Mary, the mother of Jesus, to say to talk about the time where she and her husband lost their son for three days? Anyone here ever lost a child for three days? Yeah. It would be memorable, right? Like you'd remember every <laughs> single detail. And in fact, you'd remind the child almost as they grew up um, remember that time? We've got stories in our family of children. Um, I won't name any, but we might have left one or two of them at the shops or at school or somewhere, um, gotten lost. I've been lost before. Anyone here ever been lost before and someone's been trying to find you? No, don't look at the person. Don't look at them. Yeah. But um, here, I believe it's Mary actually sharing with Luke, the doctor. Uh, about this actual account. And Luke is really, really focused on declaring the very humanity of Jesus. Because he says in verse 40, there the child grew up in Nazareth. There the child grew up healthy and strong. What a great um, pediatrician Luke would be. Mm -hmm. He was filled with wisdom and God's favour was on him. So here is the development of Jesus. It's it's almost like sometimes we think that Jesus, you know, the story of Jesus in the Bible is that he was born in Bethlehem and then we just we just skip what 30 years and there he is starting his ministry. But Jesus actually grew up. He knows what it means to be how old are you? 13. He knows what it means to be 17. He's been through adolescence. Right? He probably had zits. Look, I'm not defacing the, the sovereignty and the divinity of Jesus Christ. I'm just trying to emphasize the fact that Jesus was one of us. He actually lived in this world. In fact, the Bible says that he was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin, which I think is wonderful, because that meant he could pay for my sin and your sin. So Luke emphasises the humanity of Jesus, right? Now let's, let's skip down to verse 41. We're up to that. And then it says, here's this scene, right? We skip from where he's, he's grown up in Nazareth and now he, he's come to the age of uh, 12. Every year, says Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Just stop there. So this festival is like not just an hour and a half. It's not just a meal of lamb and let's say some prayers and let's go. It's like seven days festival. It's a big thing, okay? And so the whole family are going to Jerusalem. It says they go up to Jerusalem for the uh, Passover festival um, and Jesus was 12 years old and they attended the festival as usual. 
it was actually a requirement for all males over the age of 13 to go to the Passover festival. Okay, so Mary didn't have to go, but she went. Okay, and Jesus attended with his parents. He did the whole traditional Passover thing every single year with his parents. So he listened to the stories of God's deliverance of people in Israel from Egypt, and he heard he went through all of the whole ceremony of Passover. Okay, and now he's 12 years old. And I don't know if you guys know, but for a Jewish young boy, when he gets to the age of 12 or 13, they even still do it today. They get to a, they have a bar mitzvah. Have you heard of that? Hands up. Anyone? Bar mitzvah. Anyone know what bar mitzvah stand means in English? Party. <laughs> sort of. Well, not really. No, it doesn't mean party, but it's sort of. It just means, so bar means son of, and mitzvah is the law. Okay. So son of the law. They become responsible in, in matters of the law, okay, in, in God's law. So in the Old Testament, when, when, a child, when a male came to the age of 13, he was then under the covenant, I guess, in a real sense, and uh, became and he was allowed to come along to the temple and, uh, and learn. And so here we see Jesus at the age of 12, right? And they attended the festival as usual. So they're at this thing, okay? And then after the celebration was over, so after the seven days, celebrate food everywhere, right? Amazing stories shared around people, like thousands and thousands of people. They started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. Isn't that bad parenting? I mean, initially we look at that and go, how on earth did Mary and Joseph miss Jesus? Could you imagine, because this is, we read this and it takes us about five seconds to read it, but I don't know if you read that before, but it says like three days later they find Jesus. Could you imagine Mary and Joseph? So first of all, Mary probably thinks that he's with Joseph. Joseph probably thinks that he's with Mary. How they would travel in those days to those festivals was in massive groups, okay, and they would camp out overnight. And so traditionally the women and the small children would go in front, I'm not sure why, but they did, and the, the grown-up adult males and, um, and young boys would go in the back. Uh, so Mary probably thought, well, he's 12, coming 13, he's probably going to be with the males. And Joseph probably thought, well, he's a child, so he's going to be with the females. And uh, But you know what? It's, I don't think it's... A matter of bad parenting I think it's a matter of the fact that they could trust Jesus they've seen him grow up to be a, a decent child I just went on a camp year 8 camp right I don't know if there was any 12 year olds but there were probably some 13 year olds but I'll tell you what there's some of those kids I would have eagle eyes on all the time but then there's other ones where you sort of go you know what I don't need to focus on them so much because they're pretty responsible and they can look after themselves you know, like my, my kids, yeah, like Tim. <laughs> but so for, for me, this kind of says that Jesus must have been a pretty decent kid growing up. I mean, obviously he was the perfect child and his brothers and sisters probably were annoyed about that. But he would be trusted, you know, and trust. And, and so his parents didn't seem to worry too much when they didn't see him until they didn't see him. And I could imagine them talking to each other. I thought you had him. I thought you had him. Oh no, what are we going to do? Lord, remember, remember that Messiah that you gave us? <laughs> He's going to save the whole world from their sins. 
we kind of lost him. Do you have another Messiah? Can you send us another one? We're not sure where he is. So Jesus goes AWOL, apparently. But in verse 43, we see, it says, after the celebration, was, uh, sorry, Jesus stayed behind. We see that where he is, he stayed behind in Jerusalem. Um, and so they, um, verse 44, sorry, we're up to that, because they assumed he was among the other travellers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Verse 45, when they couldn't find him there, they, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. So verse 46, three days later, everyone say three days later. Three days later. Does any alarm bells go in your mind when you read those words? Or like, do your ears prick up when you see three days later? Three days later. Who's looking for Jesus? Mary. Mary's looking for Jesus three days later. I think Luke is trying to allude to something really amazing in this whole gospel about how looking for Jesus is really important. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. Here's Jesus. He's not AWOL. He's not absent. Well, he is absent without leave, I suppose. But he's discovered doing some things. He's in the temple. And what's he doing? He's sitting with the teachers. He's listening to them. What else is he doing? Asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Here's this 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy, and he's in a place where he's learning and he's asking questions. I actually had a wonderful opportunity last night around the pool table at our place in the pool room. Um, I got some questions. I love questions. Young people asking questions. What do you guys believe about this? Or when the Bible says this, what does it mean? Or, you know, what does Wesleyan Methodists believe about this? And so just to chew the fat, I guess is the term I like to use, is that just to talk about what we believe and why we believe it. You know what happens when you ask questions and listen and discuss things? You develop in wisdom and understanding. You develop. That's what happens at school. Kids listen. When they don't listen, what happens? They don't develop. They don't listen. They don't learn often. And so Jesus here, he is a human being, he's a boy, and he's developing, and he's learning, and he's listening. Right? And it just says that uh, he was just sitting there in the temple, watching these guys teach and listening to them. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Verse 48, his parents show up. Right? His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, not Jesus, not honey, not sweetheart. Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. They've been really, really worried about, obviously, about this. Your father and I have been frantic. And Jesus responds, why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? You know, it's interesting that Jesus uses that term father and so does Mary. And so there's this shift now between identity as a son. Is he Joseph's son? He realises that he's not Joseph's son. He realises that he's God's son. He's about his father's business in his father's house. And Mary and Joseph says didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. So I can kind of imagine Luke and Mary having a cup of tea, you know, in early um, Palestine or Rome, wherever they lived, I don't know, Jerusalem. 
having a cup of tea and Mary's sharing the story with Luke and Luke's going, wow, wow, three days, wow, gee, that's actually, I like that. And and she says to him, well, you know, he said these words, but at the, at the time we didn't understand what he meant. But like now, if you guys see that, when, when you see the words that Jesus says, he says, why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? It makes sense to us, doesn't it? Because we know who Jesus' father is. It's God. And we know what he's talking about, his house or his business, his, his affairs is, is, is about God's house, the temple, his business. And so Jesus, um, he recognises his identity. And then it says in verse 51, um, then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. You see, it's interesting because this, this is a point where Jesus, I guess, comes to a full awareness of who he is. Like in terms of, like he's a man, but he knows that he's the son of God. He knows that his father is his father in heaven. And he, he he's aware of all this identity for himself. And then what does he do? He submits to his mum and his dad, or his, his adopted dad, Joseph. He submits to them. He's submissive to them. It's beautiful because there's the same kind of a scene in John chapter 13 where we're getting to uh, closer to the cross and Jesus, it says that when Jesus understands who he is and what God's called him, what Father has called him for and, and that all power was in his hands, it says that he took a towel, wrapped it around himself and started washing people's feet. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, how Jesus understands his identity, how great he is, that he's the son of God, but yet then he submits to the people that he's he, that have responsibility over him. I think that's beautiful for us to learn that from Jesus before we go on to my two applications, is that each one of us, when we put our faith in Jesus, we actually become children of God. Like we sang that song, I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And we could come at that, or we could come at life with the mentality of, well, I'm a child of God. Oh, what are you? <laughs> but that's not the kingdom. The kingdom of God says, you know, you're a child, you're royalty, so serve. <laughs> we should serve as rulers and ruler servants. And Jesus does that very thing. And his mother stored, it says, his mother stored all these things in her heart and obviously shared them later with Luke or somebody. Verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and all the people. That sounds really great, but what does it mean? That Jesus developed. Jesus developed. He didn't just get born and all of a sudden he knew everything. He was, he was wise. He, it, it, it wasn't like he developed. It says he developed in wisdom. So in other words, he developed in not just his knowledge of God and God's plan for his life, but he actually developed in the way to live that out. You see, there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? You can be smart. You can know all the answers for all of the tests at school, at university, and then finish university and then make a dumb choice and ruin your life. Why? Because that dumb choice didn't involve wisdom. Wisdom is putting into practice the knowledge. 
Jesus actually is spoken of as being the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He is our wisdom of God. He's the wisdom of God himself in person. And Jesus grew in wisdom. He developed, right? And he also grew in stature. He grew in stature. You know what that means? He grew in physically. Like he, he, you know, he got bigger. He got taller. He got more hair on his body. His voice changed. He actually was a human being, right? So Luke is really, it's just a great pediatrician here for, um, for Jesus here. And it, and it says that he grew in favour with God and all the people. So he grew in favour with God. And he grew in favour with people. So here are my two applications. Because, I, I, look, I don't think any of us can really, I mean, the last, the, all the people that we've looked at, all the young people that God has used in the Bible, we can learn from them, we can learn from their mistakes, but we can't learn from Jesus' mistakes. We can, we can, I guess, relate to them a little bit more because they were, you know, flawed like us, no offence. But Jesus, he's not flawed. So what can we actually learn from Jesus here that we can put into our lives? Young people, what can we learn from the young Jesus that we can put into our lives? Well, here I've just, I've just got two, two points, all right? This is it. Um, so that Jesus developed, right? But he developed in two ways, I believe. He developed in community and he developed in identity. So um, another way of putting it is that his faith was an our father kind of faith life and a my father faith life. So for you and I to grow and develop in wisdom and maturity spiritually, we can't just be on our own. We can't just say, I'm, I'm a child of God, he's my father, and not hang out with the other Christians because development won't happen. There must be some kind of rubbing of shoulders, iron and sharpening iron. All right, There has to be, even in the midst of people that we don't agree with. See, here's Jesus. He's sitting in the temple. Not only, sorry, is he going to the temple uh, for Passover with his family and surrounding himself with the, with the spiritual community, but he's actually decided to sit in the middle of a temple surrounded by teachers who maybe 18 years from that day will be calling for his crucifixion. Like he's listening to their teaching. He's listening to them. He's taking on board what they're saying. Do we do that? Do you do that? I mean, we can go to Kurong and buy all the books on something, couldn't we? <laughs> but isn't it good if you... When you're together with other Christians and you, you chew the fat, you talk about the issues um, and disagree, like agree to disagree on certain things. Like, you know, that's that's why we got Baptists and Wesleyans and Pentecostals and Anglicans. And I think, look, I think I'm a Wesley-Costal Anglibap. <laughs> I'm not sure what I am. But that's why those are all there because people don't like to agree to disagree so they will let's form a thing over here but jesus put himself in the midst of that like um there needs to be some kind of um resistance there's a story i might share this real quick you can let me there's a story about this thing called a biodome biodome was just a massive big dome um, with biological stuff in it hence the biodome and they it was an experiment to grow 
crops and trees and plants so that people, human beings, could live in that environment wherever they put it. So they maybe put it on a planet somewhere, okay? This was this idea. And it was a perfect environment. And they'd grow these crops and uh, plants and they were, they were fine. Everything, you know, seeds and everything. And people actually lived in this thing for months at a time. But what they noticed was as the trees began to grow, they started to fall over. They started to flop, their, their branches were floppy and they began to fall over. And the root system wasn't deep. You know why? Someone forgot to make a wind machine for the whole body. It was so perfect. It was such a perfect atmosphere. There was no turmoil or wind or anything for the plants to go, I need to grow roots deep. And because they didn't grow their roots deep, they fell over at the slightest push. Now, I need you for my faith in God to work. Otherwise, I'll fall over at the slightest push. I think um, COVID, the last 24 months, have kind of shown us that in lots of, I don't know if anyone knows, I don't want to point anybody out, but, you know, sadly, that's happened to a lot of believers. They've, because they haven't had those roots going deep because of the fellowship, the slightest things just pushed them over and they've fallen out of fellowship with God or whatever, or they've just not come to church. I'm cool with people not coming to church. Just keep your relationship with God happening, which gets to the next point. Um, it's not just an Our Father mentality that I think Jesus had. By the way, Jesus' um, disciples, when they said, teach us to pray, he said, this is how you should pray. Our Father. All right? Don't forget, you're in a group. You're part of a, part of a body of Jesus Christ. We're just a flavour of it here. So it's our Father. But the uh, second aspect is that we all need to actually realise that it's not just a community. You're not just part of a community. You're actually part of a relationship with God. So each one of us don't just need each other, but we actually need to know that when we don't have each other around us for any given point of amount of time, that we can still connect with the Father. So Jesus said to his mum and to Joseph, his dad, let's just, let's just call Joseph his dad. Um, he said to his mum and his dad, didn't you know that I'd be about, my, I must be in my father's house. I must be in my father's house. He calls him my father. And I think that's really important because I've seen, as you might have too, young people growing up in church, but not in the Lord like growing up in the culture of Christianity, but having the Our Father approach and neglecting the fact that they need a relationship with God themselves. And I'm praying that that would happen. I'm seeing it in, in, our, in our church, which is really great. But that can happen, can't it? Because we forget that it's a personal relationship with God that really, really matters. In fact, Jesus, uh, and another point when, he, when it talks about prayer, not just did he say Our Father, but he talked about how when you pray, go into the room, a small room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in heaven, who sees what's unseen. So there's this, there's two playing at the same time. And I see this with Jesus. I think we can learn that from Jesus today, from this passage, is that not only is he fully human and he grew and developed, but how he grew and developed was in you know, our father mentality, and a my father mentality. He understood who he was, what his identity was, and who his community was. So I encourage you all to keep those two things balanced in your walk with the Lord. 
Make sure you're hanging out with other Christians, even those that don't agree with things that you agree with. But um, iron sharpens iron, right? But also, make sure that you call out to God and call him your father, okay? Have, a, have conversations with him as you're walking down the street or driving the car. Just talk to him, just like you would your own earthly father, but more so because he's always with you, he always loves you, and he's always there listening to you. There's something to think about. How about we pray? I'll hand it back over to Naomi. God, we just thank you so much that you sent Jesus to um, represent who you are to us, the exact representation of you, Father. And, and uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, you showed us what it meant to live uh, in this world and, and to honour God and, and honour people around you. Uh, thank you, Jesus, that you sent your Holy Spirit uh, to into our hearts as believers to, uh, to live uh, in your strength and in your power. Lord, help us to remember that we're part of a family and help us to remember, God, that uh, you are always there listening. No matter how far we might run from you or no matter what goes on in life, you're always very present. Thank you that you're our Father and you're my Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.